You're listening to Dr. Tony Nader, the podcast, dedicated to exploring the full potential of human physiology and mind with focus on ancient and modern techniques of self-development. Spend some time with Dr. Nader, who is leading the way in the science of consciousness, and begin your journey to better understanding the relationship of mind and body, consciousness and physiology right now. In this episode, Dr. Nader sits down with Dr. Angelo DeLulo, an anesthesiologist, author, and teacher to discuss awakening, reality, and the importance of both knowledge and experience. Dr. DeLulo is the author of the book, Awake, It's Your Turn, and runs the YouTube channel, Simply Always Awake. Angelo, welcome, this is wonderful. It's great to have you, thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. Angelo is a physician, anesthesiologist, and a great author, and most importantly, an awake individual who woke up to a reality from his personal experience that we would like to share and hear about. I would say like all ancient sages that we hear about who had moments of transcendence, moments of awakening, and then they actually shared it with others. And many have spent their entire life looking again for that experience and that knowledge and that awakening through different spiritual paths. So Angelo, welcome. You've written a great book, Awake. And we'd like to see what is the difference between waking up from sleep or dream, waking up from anesthesia or from coma or vegetative states, and waking up in a real way as you have experienced it. Can you tell us about your experience, a little bit of the background and how this happened? It's fascinating. Yeah, sure. So when I uh, was growing up, I noticed a lot of emotional contraction. And I didn't know that as such. I didn't have the terminology, didn't even know what the what the process was going on inside me. But I could feel uh, some sort of density just contracting as I was getting older. And ultimately, I was taking on repressed emotions from people around me, not realizing it. And I actually had a good amount of capacity for that, I think, until I started to develop a, a sort of ego structure, a mental self. And as I developed that, just because our nervous systems are complex enough that that's going to happen essentially for everyone, it became very, very uncomfortable. And I didn't understand any of why this was happening until years later. But for me, it was very uncomfortable. It was very uncomfortable to live in a world of thought, of the yakety-yak of the mind, of the internal narrative, self-doubt, doubts about who I am, what I'm supposed to be doing, what's wrong with what's wrong with me, is it, you know, who am I? All of these thoughts that were just racing around in my mind were incredibly uncomfortable. Uh, so uh, I was about 19 years old, I think, when I learned to meditate. And that actually was was a tremendous help. It was very helpful. It offered me a period throughout the day where I could feel relaxed. For the first time in my life, I felt equanimity, peace. But it was really uh, relegated mostly to those times when I was meditating. And... I didn't overtly realize there's something more to find, but it's, I still felt a lot of suffering and I felt 
that suffering pretty intensely, especially around other people and so forth. So I wasn't really at that time a spiritual seeker. I didn't read a bunch of spiritual texts. I kind of chalked up spirituality or spiritual dogma to just another way to rearrange thoughts and beliefs to try to make yourself feel better. And that's something I could see didn't work anyway. So I, I think I just had a, a bit of a um, skeptical attitude toward pretty much any kind of self-help or these sorts of things. Um, and at some point, something hit me that it's not about anything in the words. It's not about doctrine. It's not about any specific system or method. There's a very real living possibility, a living truth that's available to me. And the first time I tasted that, the first time I knew that beyond a doubt, it was interesting because it was the first time I'd felt something pure in my life, something more real than this internal suffering place I'd been in for years, but I didn't know what to do with it. And I didn't know how to access it. I just sort of knew it was possible. I could feel it. I could sense it. And it was fleeting. It just went, came and went. So kind of afterwards, I was left with a, almost a, um, a that, that feeling of like, I've been to the Garden of Eden, but now I'm out of it again. And so it was even in one sense more frustrating, <laughs> but it planted a seed that there was some deep, profound transformation possible. Uh, so when I was 24 years old, and we can go into however much detail you want on this, but when I was 24 years old, I, I actually figured it out. And I figured it out by reading a book about Zen and reading a description of an exchange between a Zen teacher and students. It's called The Three Pillars of Zen. Um, and by reading his instructions on how to work with a specific koan, I realized uh, exactly what he was talking about. And it related to what I had experienced before, but it went far deeper. It was something at the level of identity. It had nothing to do with thoughts, emotions, the story, the narrative of my life. It didn't even have to do with the physicality of my life. It wasn't anything that like that. It was profound in the most fundamental sense. And it, and I knew somehow that I could actually orient myself to this fully. And I also knew that would mean I would have to let go of everything, everything I thought I knew about myself, um, not just mentally, but like energetically. And I, I just intuited that. Now this happened really quickly, this part where I have to look back on it and unpack it to even say that, because for me, it was so obviously where I wanted to go because everything behind me was just suffering, uh, that it was, it was an easy decision to make. When I finally knew that it was possible to actually let go into this, then I did. <laughs> and that changed everything. It changed in a very rapid, at a very rapid pace. It changed how I experience myself, how I experience thought, how I experience the mind, how I experience space and time literally everything. It completely fundamentally changed how I experience everything to the degree that the, even using the language of I, the one that's experiencing it was so fundamentally altered that it to even speak in those terms isn't really accurate, but we don't, we don't have other language really. So uh, I'll just say I was sort of absorbed into everything, but it, it it's quite, but it was quite formless. So it's, it's appearing just like this is all appearing, but it, it it's, um, quite formless and uh i could say spacious but it's also not um it's not in space that's the weird thing about it time and space uh come after this actually they're they're extrapolated afterward by the mind to make sense of this three-dimensional world to move and function in which is practical and important so you don't actually lose the practicality and the ability to use the mind in that way but 
the at the level of identity something very real uh, occurs and it's a transformation that doesn't reverse <laughs> it's uh it it stays that way so that's that's the gist of what happened that was when i was 24 um and then since then i would say there are there have definitely been refinements to it but the fundamental shift which was exquisitely clear has essentially stayed it's not a static thing either so to say it stayed doesn't make a lot of sense it's not an experience it's beyond experience but that that sense of the suffering separate self never reformulated and it's clear that it can't actually because it never existed so there you go wonderful it's really great to see that experience was fundamental in the sense that through meditation you have experienced something and kept experiencing it for a number of years and then suddenly there was a further layer of awakening through what we can call understanding or intellectual understanding. So the intellect also, which means our ability to understand, and uh, usually the intellect discriminates between things. But in this case, the discrimination is between diversity and unity, and able to see that unity that you experience is at the basis of all the diversity. And that this knowledge that you have received has been fundamental also and important in consolidating the experience, it seems. And then, then experience and knowledge are both very important. And going through those phases of uh, suffering or emotions and all of that is also uh, teaching and finding you know, the difference between what what the situation is before the realization and what the situation is after the realization is very different. Many great uh, seekers, you spoke of spirituality and, and all that, many great seekers in history have had this path of not making sense of really what is happening and if they are truly searching for uh, an ultimate truth, an ultimate reality, they're not satisfied. So there is that longing and that sense of subcases, suffering, which kind of vanishes when the light comes. So it's like being in the darkness in a sense where things seem to be separate and then you get a light and things to be coherent and connected. It's a beautiful experience. And it's a wonderful awakening. And what would you suggest what people should do? Is it two levels uh, we have here? The personal experience uh, that people say, well, what do I do about it? How, they, how can I get it? And then uh, the understanding of it. And uh, in our podcast, this is a lot of what we actually discuss and we have names for these different levels. We can also bring them out, you know, it's just to give them a definition and a structure. So from your uh, feeling in the book, Awakening, what do you tell people to do so that they either wake up <laughs> or become awake and in a sense, get more enlightened, if you like? It's a bigger word, but this is in the same direction. Uh, awake is more simple uh, because one feels that there is a contrast between being drowsy and being alert and awake. But in ancient traditions, 
there is terminology such as enlightened and being enlightened, which is really being fully awake. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. That there, there are definitely stages to this. There's no doubt about that. The insight that that matters, as I mentioned, is is really at the level of identity. So what I would tell somebody who's interested, who can feel into what I'm saying, is interested in truly going beyond all of the 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 conceptualities of of who I think I am and so forth. I would tell them to first of all really sit with what your motivation is. Do you re what do you want? What is what is it you want really? And it, the reason is, is sometimes we have competing agendas. I may really want to go beyond my idea of myself. Uh, something in me knows that's the right way to go. That's the direction that my instinct is taking me. And at the same time, there is some competing agenda in my life. I also want to have safety. I also want to have financial security. I want to have a great relationship. And all that's fine. But if you're not aware of competing agendas, then they often trip you up. You, you get a little, you mix things together and, and kind of try to use this technique to, to work toward this and vice versa. So when you see those things clearly, you realize there are practical means to attain all of these, these aspects of life that are important to us. There's, there's tools, there's, there's coaches and all of it for relationships and vocation and all of it. When it comes to what I'm talking about, it's really important to see that the tools that you use for other means in life really don't work for this mostly because it's really about you. It's not about a specific guru or teaching. It's about you. It's a, it's a very, very intimate process. And it's a process of turning toward and going inward one way or another, letting go into that deep, deep instinct that there is somewhere to go beyond my conceptual self, beyond my narrative of who I think I am, where I'm going, all of it. Uh, so the first part of it is really just attuning to your instinct and learning to trust yourself, that it's okay to go there, that often society has not told you to go there. It's told you to go outward and seek surrogates for happiness and so forth. But giving yourself permission is giving yourself permission is key that you are willing to really turn inward and, and, and let go into something more true, more real than you've taken to be reality. That's number one. Number two, I would say that for me, the, the contrast was between meditation and not necessarily knowledge because it wasn't something I learned, but it was the contrast was between meditation or augmented by meditation and a sort of inquiry. It's really a questioning and the questioning is key in how you ask and with what spirit you ask and that you ask with a certain kind of openness. Uh, openness, meaning you have to realize you have your own limitations and your mind limits you a lot. Uh, your, your cognitive apparatus, not your, not your, you know, infinite mind or anything, but the cognitive apparatus does limit, uh, you a lot. So being willing to open yourself up to something beyond the dimensions of what you take yourself to be is really key with inquiry that it's, it's really has to be an open, open-ended type of question and a type of investigation. And that can play out a lot of ways. It can be, who am I? And then just trying to turn back toward and rest in that sense of I, that pure sense of I before I become anything, before I learned that I was a person, a man, a woman, a physician, uh, anything. So who am I? And just letting go of any thoughts about who I am and getting right back to that root of the pure sense of I and resting in that. That's one way. I, in my book, I describe a way to approach this through thought and realizing that 
any thought that arises spontaneously in the mind, it, it sort of has built-in limitations. Meaning if I believe I am this, I automatically believe I'm not everything else. And that sounds innocuous or innocent with one single thought. And it is, but you know, with thousands and thousands of thoughts a day, we actually end up in this continuum of thought and we don't realize we're really confining our identity into this very small space. So by noticing one thought at a time and recognizing, oh, that's one thought. I'm a good person. That's a thought. I'm a bad person. That's a thought. I'm a spiritual person. There's another thought. And as you disregard those thoughts, you start to recognize the source of thought essentially, or that in which thoughts arise and dissipate, which is consciousness. Just noticing that is helpful, but that's not the shift. The shift is ultimately when the experience of being an I uh, in the way I had taken myself to be previously is seen itself to be only a thought and to experience consciousness as all there is in, in this space is a huge release. Typically it's a, it's a, a release from years of pent up tension. And, you know, you have emotions that, that you didn't even know you were repressing and they just disappear and just, just sublimate. And it's quite a shift off often. So a form of inquiry, is is usually key and it takes a lot of different forms and i in my chapter uh in the book i describe how to find your own natural question to be give yourself permission to ask the most fundamental questions the questions that matter to you why do i suffer you know who who am i taking myself to be and is there something more primary than that operating right here is there something here when there's thoughts and when there's no thoughts completely unchanged those kinds of fundamental questions, finding the one that interests you and resonates with you, I find is what really works for people. Wonderful. And the first part of what you described, you used a few times, either directly going beyond or indirectly letting go and meaning letting go of what is the usual, what is the surface level towards something inwards. And in other words, this is what we call transcendence. To transcend is a term that means to go beyond. And this is the technique, actually, we teach the transcendental meditation, which is uh, exactly like that, to go beyond and to go inward and to let go, which is what re gets us there. And then to understand also what is there. It's, uh, you know, the second part in terms of inquiry, which means asking questions. And asking questions uh, requires answers. And the answers are what I generally put under the category of understanding or knowledge. Not that knowledge uh, in terms of specific values, but to understand what your experience is. Because when one experiences a field of consciousness that is beyond, that is completely settled, as we do in transcendental meditation, when we go beyond the surface and go to pure consciousness and realize that, some people just think it's void, it's uh, emptiness. And we have many experiences of people where at the beginning, they feel like falling into void or falling into nothingness. And yet you point to them that they are conscious, <laughs> they are still conscious, that there is nothingness, as if nothingness, but its consciousness is still there. It's not like the unconscious of deep anesthesia or coma or even to some extent sleep, because there is awakening and there is wakefulness with nothingness specific. And that's what going beyond is. 
And this is where, you know, knowledge or inquiry and answer to the inquiry, understanding what one is going through, helps also in figuring out what is going on. Because there is the experience and then there is, let's say, the inquiry, because you like to have more emphasis on that, about what is this experience? How do I fit it? Where do I fit it in my reality? And then one can then have another layer of understanding, of awakening, on even the level of intellectual analysis. But what is also important, I feel you are maybe directly or indirectly mentioning, is that just experience, or just, I mean, not just experience, just knowledge by itself uh, or theory is not enough. Uh, to make the shift. There is something that one has to touch, uh, but not touch on the physical level, but touch directly within oneself and know it to be real. How important for you uh, was one or the other in terms of how much intellectual analysis, understanding, and versus actually directly transcending made the difference because you started off obviously with years of meditation and therefore somehow transcending and transcending again and then got to that platform of having that sense of oneness that grew in your life yeah so so for me the it really wasn't about understanding or knowledge for me for me it was actually the initial shift was really about transcending knowledge ultimately, but because, because the sense of self, the sense of the cognitive self is structured in knowledge. It's structured in consciousness. And so for me, it really was about actually letting go of that and seeing that the, the, the thought system that, that had bound me, that was causing all the anxiety and frustration and struggle that, that was not me. That wasn't me. So really for me, it was, it was a matter of surrender or um, dropping out of that binding of, of knowledge and information. Now there beyond that, as realization deepens, there can be value to um, understanding some of the ways that these, these perceptual filters fall away. And there are, as I said, there are sort of stages to this, but things get very subtle. So I caution people you know, to really trust their immediate and direct experience more than thoughts or knowledge or beliefs or dog doctrine at all, because it's very, it gets very sticky. It's, it, it, we use it as a life preserver because we really do find ourselves falling into this vastness that is, uh, can be quite daunting. It, it feels good at first. When you first taste oneness, it feels good as an experience. When you dissolve into oneness, it can be it's not quite something else. And so I always feel as, as I did in my book that I, I feel responsible to tell people ahead of time that this process I'm talking about, you will experience a fear barrier. You will likely, you will experience emotions that will surprise you. Um, and you, you're prepared for it. If you, if you know that they're coming, you may not be fully prepared, but you're not totally surprised and think something went off the rails. You realize, oh, this is actually supposed to happen, but when you transcend identity in a very real way, your ego doesn't take that lying down. It, it the, the alarm bells start to go off. And um, so, so that is part of it. And I can't, I can't deny the fact that that's part of it, but some of that knowledge 
um, having lived this way for many years, helped for me to to prepare other people for it, to put it into terminology that helps smooth the process for people who are wanting to go through this or already going through it, whether they like it or not, or do just find themselves spontaneously opening this way. So, so there is a value to, to knowledge later on, but it has to be really clear that the knowledge is not used to continue to structure a cognitive self, a, co- a separate self, because a cognitive self will always feel separate. You could say that there's a, a vast sort of self underneath that. And that's a, a big shift into that stage of realization. It does even go beyond that, but that this vastness of self that is unbound, unbound by any thoughts or beliefs, or like I said, time or space or anything you've ever thought in the mind, uh, doesn't actually touch this. It's that spacious and, um, fluid. Yeah, beautiful. Yes. Knowledge can also be dogmatic in a sense or become dogmatic if it doesn't have some kind of connection with experience by itself because this is how science actually started to reject uh, even ancient uh, wisdom and knowledge to some extent at the beginning because there were so many philosophies ways of thinking as you said you know guidelines and dogmas and and all of that and uh, ultimately, science said, okay, let's examine what works, what doesn't work. There are many contradictory ideas about the sense of what ultimate reality is, because this is what we're talking about really here, is uh, what is the ultimate reality that is the foundation of all the differences, because differences exist on the surface level, but uh, there is something that binds them, that glues them or actually something that makes them, because if we think they are bound, it may, as if it's parts that then can appear as a whole. But here what we're talking about is the wholeness appearing as parts in different, different ways. And so this is quite a complex thing to accept because people's identities are so entrenched in in their nationality and their beliefs and their looks and their habits and their job and their relations with others. And so we form a sense of self that is based on specific values. And if you try to tell somebody that uh, there is more than that, that you are not that, you are something else at the basis of all of that, they first will not really fully fully grasp it and then this is where experience is primary and it's beautiful that you highlighted this way also of course that let's leave knowledge apart let's not feel bound by specifics uh, either specific sense of self and or not and try to see what there is deeper than that and then when the experience dawns then uh, the reality dawns uh, that I am more than just that. We had beautiful uh, people even in our uh, teaching of transcending, of transcendental meditation, that many like, for example, even if we want to take an extreme cases of criminal situations in prisons or for rehabilitation, where people have a sense of themselves as being a criminal, as being somebody who is wrong, who, and they identify with this, and they say, this is who I am, what can I do? It's, and they do the things, 
which is mind boggling because we think everybody wants to assume they are good people and nice people. Mm -hmm. But there are actually these people who find themselves in a situation where they identify with something that is, in a sense, not good, uh, not mm -hmm. good at all even. And then when they transcend, they discover something. And, and I remember some of them, and particularly one that comes to mind, who said, I could never believe that there is something in me that is so deep and so quiet and so silent and so peaceful. I was identifying myself with something that is violent, that is outwardly trying to do things. And now I discover there is something in me that is so profound and this person's life changed and, you know, they got released. Uh, they never had uh, to go back to prison. And so what we're talking about is very practical. It's very practical. Uh, at the same time, it needs a way to let go. And I really feel Angelo's Awake book helps in opening the awareness to that. And uh, this is why we, we teach this technology of consciousness, we call it, that helps to transcend in a very systematic way because experience is primary. And then later we can ask and understand. So just to go into some words here, because we have in a way structured it and we need some words to understand it. There is something which is transcending and now we're talking to an anesthesiologist so who deals with putting people to sleep and now wants to awaken people. And in states of consciousness, we have sleep, dream, and waking mm -hmm. as states of consciousness. But we have a new state of consciousness, which we're talking about right now. And that is a transcendental state of consciousness, we call it. And that is a state that has, like sleep, dream, and waking, its own physiology, its own electrochemistry uh, and electrophysiology of the brain can be studied physically, physiologically, and by EEG and different structures that are showing that there is a different state of restful alertness or wakeful restfulness, if you like, and that we call transcendental consciousness, a state of transcending. Now, if this state remains with you, this is when, uh, when we hear Angelo describing how his experience progressed into a sense of inner peace, uh, quiet continuity of experience of being. And, you know, there are, and he says it's there, sometimes not there, it comes back, but the reference is there, the, the connection is there. And when actually it is always there, we even call it cosmic consciousness. I'm saying this because many of our listeners are already experiencing and know this kind of aspect of their life and just putting it in, in a terminology. Cosmic consciousness sounds like a big thing, but it is the sense of that inner self always being there, never lost. So the sense of who I am is infinite and bounded, pure, call it pure consciousness. At the same time, we are still active and productive in the outside. And this is one thing I want, wanted to ask you, and that is uh, the importance of relating to others, working in the world, 
and being dynamic in the world. And you alluded to this uh, in, in, in what we're discussing, that it's not a state of becoming lethargic or withdrawing from the world, but just a state of awakening. Do you, do you want to elaborate a little more on that, on the outer and yeah. the inner? Yeah, so, so what you're describing is co cosmic consciousness is the background. It's always here. And so the uh, experience of unbound, I, I just call it unbound consciousness. There, there's there's no structuring in consciousness of a, a personal narrative or uh, of a world separate from anything. It's it's just basically pure consciousness. So that's here 24-7 and the, it doesn't come and go at all. But that's one it's hard it's hard to talk about this because it, it goes deeper than this there that's one aspect of experience but from that you, there's there's a there's a beautiful unbinding that happens all the time meaning unbinding from any uh history or personal narrative such that the availability of you of of response of uh, love of interconnection with others is always pretty much always there it's 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 um reasonably seamless so there's not a sense of hesitating holding back from life there's not a, a sense of wanting not to be here or feeling numb or um out of it or wanting to just run away and meditate that's not the case at all because the meditation's always happening you could say at some point meditation doesn't doesn't end there, there, there's something here that's always meditating and so that from that experience for me that makes it feel as if there's uh, a sort of infinite availability of freedom of creativity if that makes sense now there's a, there's always relative constraints that no person becomes a god or anything like that it's it's not you know that 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 would be a misperception but based on the conditions that this body mind uh, exists in the 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 blockages of self-doubt and mind identification and being lost in thought those blockages can can completely clear and there's just this background of that consciousness you're describing, and it's there all the time. And so it's it's a it's a very simple, direct, innocent, and enjoyable way to live. And there's no pretense to it. That's the other beautiful thing about it. It's just simple. Beautiful. It's the simplest thing, actually. Everything else is pretense. <laughs> because yeah. if the reality is one, then pretending to be something else is actually the mistake. And so <laughs> by surrendering, you also use that term to the self in a very systematic way and establishing that self and the and the reality of unbounded consciousness or cosmic consciousness that reality is a continuum that allows you to be active and dynamic and creative on the outside also it's not a separation or a withdrawal from the, from life and living and enjoying actually life the, the teacher who brought this technology of consciousness, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, used to take an example. And that is, you know, why would one want to act? Why should one be acting if one is established in that fulfillment? And he takes a very simple example. He says, if you are sitting in a warm bath and there is warmth around you, but you don't move, at one point, the equilibrium of that makes you feel like it's just a continuous state, which is great. But if you start moving, then the waves of warmth create a greater joy and greater bubbles of fulfillment, which give a different experience. So established in that self, acting within the outside is 
uh, going to create all kinds of waves of happiness and joy. So uh, this this sense of you know having to do a life which is withdrawn, and people have misunderstood even the knowledge and importance of transcending as being something which withdraws and goes away. Although we do it just during moments at the beginning when we are meditating. But then when this is established, it's the outward that is happening. So few minutes of inward and a lot of minutes outward makes the outward more fulfilling. And then when one comes to that unbounded consciousness or cosmic consciousness, then there is further realization. And that is where we can take it to another level. And that is, how do you see others? See, first we see yourself as unbounded consciousness. And then now it transcends even just the self of being unbounded. I am everything. To realize that everyone is everything. So there is that first self-realization and then it grows to spontaneously, because you know this is the one thing, grows spontaneously to embrace others as also being myself. And this is a higher, if you like, layer, although they can grow, of course, together, a higher layer of what we can call unity consciousness, unity awareness. You'd like to say anything about that in your experience and your thoughts? Yeah, so I wouldn't necessarily use the same terminology, but that 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 is very clear. So the experience of another, the experience of otherness, the experience even of physical objects, there's there's not a way to say that that's over there and I'm over here. So this is when um, realization moves beyond, as you said, a personal experience of of just say unbound consciousness that's continuous to this experience where the physical world actually change. It, it doesn't change. You see it in a more fundamental way, such that the, 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 the knowingness that I am this or this consciousness or this anything, and the knowingness that that is that over there drops away. And it's, it's as if you experience yourself in more than one place at once. So I, I, if I look at an object, I can see that the mind is making that into an object over there for practical means. And yet, the identity at the identity level, it's it's a perception of radical intimacy. I'm here and there at the same time. That's that's the best way I can say it. So so myself and otherness don't make sense anymore. And again, the language doesn't work for this. So it's not like I walk around talking about this. But when that shifts, it's very obvious. Beautiful. We can call it. I mean, just as a, the sense, of course, of categorizing. We can call it unity yeah. in the sense that there is no more separation. That mm -hmm. even though you see the apple, you see the flower, you know that they are they are ultimately the one unbounded consciousness of pure being, pure consciousness, appearing and uh, manifesting in a phenomenal way as different values, as uh, as some other aspect of reality. What is interesting is in physics, also going deeper into the nature of ultimate reality, they have come to different fields uh, rather than just objects, but actually electromagnetic field, gravitational field. And most scientists believe that there is ultimately one field, a unified field, which is 
the source of all the other fields. It's like we used to think that electricity and magnetism are two things. And now we, of course, know very clearly, and Nobel Prizes have been given for unification, that it's in one field, it's the electromagnetic field that appears if it's in a rotational way or something magnetic, if it's a linear way or other ways, it's electric. And we have now more unification with the weak force and trying to unify the strong force and even the gravitational force. And there are theories about that. So what is being discussed is not just some fanciful feeling that Angelo experience, I experience, or other who practice transcendental meditation other ways also experience it. But it's something that also connects with how the physical understanding of reality takes us into a unified field that for all practical purposes is actually a field of consciousness, a field of awareness. And therefore, we are, we are not creating another belief system <laughs> that has no connection to empiricism or experience and reality, but it is truly also how ultimate objectivity, which means the ultimate way to study the object, finds ultimate subjectivity, which is the subject finding themselves in a unified state. And then even from the objective level, they have matched and they match. And also the effects on this, uh, as Angelo says, the disappearance of anxiety, disappearance of fear, disappearance of sense of separation. So it has many practical benefits, even for health, for well-being, and for society as a whole. So there are so many converging logics and factors and understandings and experiments that actually say that this is the true uh, reality, not just a one person's awakening, but that awakening is significant and can be had by, by everyone because that is the ultimate reality. Yeah, it, it correlates very well. I love reading about quantum field theory, relativity. It's fascinating. And it, it jives very clearly with my direct experience. Did it uh, at all help you in your kind of coming to a conclusion or it's just an additional value? I think it's just additional. It, it's, it's, it feels so intimate to read about light, for instance, and the special theory of relativity essentially saying a beam of light does not experience time or space because it's length contracted and time dilated to infinity. So a beam of light exists the beginning experiences the beginning and end of the universe at the same time, yeah. one one particle of light. And then you start to understand what the word enlightenment actually means, that it's it's a it's an experience of of that infinite nature of light directly. And the field quantum field theory very, very much so. And quantum entanglement, all of it. It 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 just really vibes with my experience. Beautiful. Beautiful. And what do you want to do about it now that you have a book and you're inspiring people and guiding them? Uh, you're still uh, in anesthesia as a medical doctor? Yeah, yeah, I still work full-time as an anesthesiologist. 
I do make videos. I just try to facilitate this for anyone who's interested and just offer different resources and, you know, just encourage people ultimately that, you know, there are so many ways now there's, there, you know, there's transcendental meditation. There, there are different forms of inquiry. There's body-based practices and combinations of these really help people, um, with their, if they're interested in really turning toward the, the inner truth of who and what they are and going very deep. So I, I really just try to encourage that now in any way I can and talk to whoever wants to, to have a discussion about it. It's wonderful because it brings profoundly the understanding of the self from this little body that is limited by the skin to growing not only to one's family, to one's uh, society, even to one's nation, but also to one's world and one's universe and including the environment. And today we have many, many big questions that we ask about uh, resolution of big problems about the environment, about war that we are facing, because we're speaking here about some experience and people are saying, but what about all these issues that we are encountering uh, environment, about war and all of that. And this experience, even though apparently a personal, intimate experience, actually can give a solution to our problems. Because if you consider the environment as yourself and you're a responsible person in society, then you will behave towards it in a different way. If you consider this world as yourself also, then you will not be inclined to start a war or a conflict, but to actually embrace and be together and be in, in unity with yourself. And so this has huge implications in our worldview, which is very important for how we will solve problems environment for example we know exactly what needs to be done we know exactly what needs to be done why is it not done why because there is me and there is you and there are this and that and if you progress maybe economically while i am saving the environment then it's a threat on my survival and a threat on me and so therefore I can't do these things that help the environment when you are doing something else or, uh, or you know, profiting from so many things. And this is a source of conflict, the source of problems, a source of discontent and fear from the other. And if one is starting to realize this oneness in a profound way and a real way, not only on the individual level, but also on the collective level, which means many individuals rising to that understanding, then the society itself rises to that understanding and the leaders riding to that understanding. And then the solutions truly come from that basis of unity. Whereas in separation, there is always fear of the other and decision-making that is not in tune with the reality of life, which is oneness. Do you want to say anything about this? Uh, you said it very well. I, I completely agree. Yeah. You know, I mean, 
there's so many benefits. If you think of how conflicts start, uh, major conflicts, conflicts that cost many lives and wars and so forth, that cost financial cost, personal cost, they start with disagreements. They start with a misperception in one person's mind because they feel divided on the inside. They feel they feel attacked when they're not. They feel separate from everything. If that one person were to realize this this sort of unity consciousness as you're describing, maybe they wouldn't have done that. Or maybe in the next, you know, the next iteration of that conversation, it wouldn't, they wouldn't feel so triggered that they need to take some huge action and instead just say, well, maybe I'm misinterpreting. Maybe it's maybe it's just okay. Maybe it's okay. So I can think of so many ways that this this is hugely beneficial to people uh, at all levels. But as you mentioned at the beginning, someone quoted once many years ago to me that Maharishi Mahesh Yogi used the used the phrase of a green forest is made up of individual green trees. So you can be a green tree. You can't force the forest to be green, but you can be a green tree. And if enough people become green trees, enough people become calmer, it connected with with truth, with themselves, with everything, it, it does have an effect. I think it really does have a ripple effect. And then certain people in key situations where a conflict could arise or not arise based on how clear they are, how at peace they feel, that can have huge implications. So of course, this is this is very important work, the most important work. And it's it, we need it to save us. <laughs> At this point, <laughs> as you said, we know what to do. We know it's what's needed in many, many of the issues we're facing. We know. We just need to do it. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 about doing it, but it's a lot of it's just about getting on the same page. You know, right, right. working together, not thinking so in terms of you know nationalism and self and other and all that. Beautiful, and actually, we have done research on that. It's again. Because people say, well, is it a nice idea or just something that is left to science or has it been checked uh, and all of that? And we have done, there are 50 different scientific research studies that show that people, when they transcend and they transcend particularly specifically in groups and together, then uh, there are changes in society. And it has been documented uh, repeatedly there is a wonderful new research which follows the number of people transcending. So going back to the self, so doing what you are suggesting they should do. In our case, it's transcendental meditation, which we find is the direct way, but you know, people can have their own ways, whatever. They actually uh, see that with the number of people practicing this program together, there is change in conflict, accidents of the road, and many, many other factors, violent crime, uh, you mentioned it, you know, robberies, rape, etc. They are actually systematically reduced in a very significant way, an important way, and with a big group effect based on the numbers. So as the numbers increase of those who practice these technologies, as the we can see the the very striking change in in all of these factors uh, of violence of crime of conflict etc and as the groups dismantle we can see unfortunately returning back to baseline and and, and even continuing to rise uh, as they were being projected from before these groups were practicing so Again, it's it's 
truly based on experience. So we encourage everyone to experience the self as being unbounded, to be guided by great wisdom that is presented to us in the Awake book and the knowledge that is shared from personal experience, plus all the scientific support of it, the documented uh, evidence-based research that has shown the effectiveness for individual and society, as well as the understanding that we touched on from physics, from understanding how the world is, what is ultimate reality. So it's a real thing. And to wake up to what is real is important. Otherwise, we are living in uh, that which is not real. And that is what we call darkness or ignorance. And to live in ignorance is bound to lead us to something which is not as progressive, as happy, as evolutionary, as growing, allowing growth and transformation in the best direction for the benefit of every individual and society. Thank you very much. Wonderful to have you. Please, if you have something to add or to say before we close, I'd like to uh, welcome you to, to say that. Well, thank you for having me. I would just say to anyone watching, if you feel that inclination to turn inward, to to really address the fundamental questions, the question of identity, the question of consciousness, the question of unity, you have every right to do it. And there are means, there are all kinds of means, but ultimately it's it's really on you to do that. And it's very much worth it. So I wish anyone who is interested in that fruition. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Great to have you. Looking forward you. to meeting you in person. Very nice. Nice to meet you. Thank you for tuning into Dr. Tony Nader, the podcast. And if you're interested in learning more from Dr. Nader, please follow him on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube.